The Tragedy of Cinema podcast is intended as a family-friendly program that by extension strives to be inclusive to all people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, creed, or any other identifying factors in this incredibly diverse world of ours. With that said, some of the films we discuss may contain serious subject matters or have content considered morally objectionable by today's standards. We do not intend to condone or dismiss these aspects of these films, but our primary focus will be on what we believe our film succeeds at, some fun facts, and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. who first or who fell in love with who first all i can remember is the seven of us always together well it's not just infatuation kevin she's not just a girl She's the only evidence of God that I can find on this entire planet. Where did you meet Wendy again? Prison. <laughs> Hi, Felicia. How you doing? Me? Oh, you know, it ain't easy being me. You know all those nights we stayed up talking? How come you never made a pass at me? I'm going to get you a red, lacy, baby doll Nike. Alec, I'm very happy in your old pajamas. Oh, I'm happy when you're out of my old pajamas. Alec is becoming a Republican and he wants to get married. Oh my God. Do you ever feel like you're not accomplishing anything at all? I think I'm in touch with that emotion. You're not gonna believe how out of hand it's gonna be. All right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I'm your host, Jimbo, and joined once again by... The lovable but gullible Kyle. <laughs> that gullible is true. Uh, today we will be talking about another great 80s uh, movie, St. Elmo's Fire, which will be episode 135. Um, but Kyle, before we get started, I will have a question for you. But first, we did have a new review. And as always, we do read all reviews on air as we get them. Uh, usually, is a little bit of a delay. I think this one's from like March fifteenth, but because we record like two or three episodes at a time, we will record or uh, give them as we get them. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We'll record. So, Kyle, what does this review say? Okay, um, don't have who this is. Uh, yes, you do. It's Jason B at the bottom or something. Like Jason B at the bottom. Okay, I don't see on this. Oh yes, yeah, Jason B 007. That's right. Okay, Bond. It's, yeah, Bond. Jason Bond. So actually, B. B. Jason. Don't wear it out. <laughs> uh, he says, um, I was made for loving you, is a quote from the Bride of Frankenstein Bond. Uh, I uh, think that's in response to, remember, our last real talk where we had the Kiss songs to a movie. That's right. And yeah. he thought, I was made for loving you from the Bride of Frankenstein, which I think is a really, really good choice. That uh, is very choice. well done, Jason. So, yeah. And he gives five stars. Very complimentary. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. So thanks, Jason. Appreciate you. Uh, thanks for listening. So, Kyle, mm-hmm. my question for you today is, oh this boy. is a, another, um, even though it's a, a, 
comedy per se. It's more of a drama, I do believe. Um, it's another hard one to talk about because there are some topics in here that um, are really hard to talk about, uh, but they should be talked about, but it's hard to talk about. But my question to you is this. Who was your favorite character in St. Elmo's Fire and why? Uh, probably Demi Moore's character. Um, one, because she's Demi Moore and incredibly beautiful. And secondly, she seemed like the only rational human being in the whole story. Um, uh, rational? Because she was high all the time and lying about about her job. Demi Moore played the... Played the um... No, she played the druggie. That oh, that's to... right. She played the druggie. Wait, who played... God. Gosh. God. I'm messing it up already. Who played the doctor? <laughs> Wait, I thought it was Demi Moore who played the doctor. Who played no. the doctor? Who played the doctor? McDowell. McDowell. What's her name? Uh... <laughs> no, you're wrong about this. this is no, I'm not. Anymore. Jules is the one that was locked in the room at the end, and they all break through the window to you're try to right. save her. It was, I know I'm right. Who played the doctor now? I can't remember who played the doctor. Annie McDowell, or Andy McDowell, or whatever her name no, is. No, no, it wasn't Andy. Okay, fine. The doctor. I enjoyed the doctor character. But she wasn't even one of the main cast. Which one of the main seven? Oh, which one of the main seven? Oh, I, I hated them all. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Who's the one I hate Kinda the like least? I hate my co-host. Uh, <laughs> gosh, um, like I thought, Wendy was okay as a person. <laughs> oh, she was the, the timid, she the timid, 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 timid virgin girl who who worked as a social services job and like Billy turns. the the hardcore and the, like Billy the, yeah the, the troublemaker, just an absolute you know yeah. Well, fellas, like I said, lovable and gullible, which tries Wendy and me. <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, it's going to be one of those episodes, as you can tell already. We're so. off to a fantastic start. And it you has been a morning already. If I am. It has been a morning already. If I went into every the details, uh, well, I'll just let you guys in on a little behind the scenes. So, Kyle and I, uh, the fourth uh, anniversary episode is coming up, mm-hmm. and we have been talking about doing this movie for the fourth ep- anniversary episode. For the past few weeks, we've been talking yeah. about which video we uh, do. To come to find out that we already covered it. <laughs> Last year. So <laughs> the, the whole day's been shot because Kyle thought we were going to be recording this for like two hours. And uh, so now he's very, it's just like a Mandela fame because I don't remember covering it. He doesn't remember covering it, but it's yeah. on the podcast feed. Time is a flat circle, Jimbo. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but once we start talking about it, we do remember. So now we got to throw that out the window and come up with something completely different. So uh, hang in there for that. So, um, as we're talking about our fourth anniversary, we might as well throw this out there. If you guys would like to send in a, an email or an audio clip, send it to the tragedy of cinema at gmail.com. Uh, we will incorporate that into the recording. I will play them. That way you guys' voice will be heard on the podcast as well. So, Kyle, you've already butchered this episode so far. So why don't you go ahead and take away the the, the notes? I mean, what else could go wrong today, right? So many more things, Jimbo. I'll show them to you all. <laughs> I'm sure we will. How many times are you going to butcher a name this morning? Let's find out. Yes. The answer is yes. All right. St. Elmo's Fire, released on June 28th in 1995. Also under the alternative title of The Real World or Sparks, apparently. Uh, don't know the history of that. So that may be in the trivia later tonight about some of the alternate titles we had going on in that movie. Directed by legendary director Joel Schumacher and written by Joel Schumacher and Carol, Carl Kurlander. Uh, produced by Lauren Truel Donner, as Lauren Truel in the credits. Composer was David Foster. Cinematographer was Stephen H. Burham. And editor was Richard Marks. And casting director was Marcy Lariff and Jennifer Schroll. Budget of the film was $10 million in 1985. And just for inflation today, that'd be about $28 million today. 
Um, opening weekend, it made $6.1 million. And just for inflation, that would be about $17.1 million. Um, got gross worldwide. I'm actually getting a successful movie overall over time, it looks like. For not the lifetime ratings, but in the, um, you know, its main box office run. It made $37.8 million. And just for inflation, that'd be about the equivalent of $105.7 million today. So, not a bad earnings for the film overall. You know, I, I, uh, I think kind of qualifies like just above a modest success, like just, you know, like just un- unqualified success. You know, not even necessarily modest. It was successful. It wasn't like extremely successful or modest. It was like right mm-hmm. there at the, at the line where you don't even add anything to it, in my opinion. I'm going to give a quick little plot summary of the film here. Seven friends... Alec, Billy, Jules, Kevin, Kirby, Leslie, and Wendy are traveling to navigate through life and their friendships following college graduation. Alec, who aspires to a political life, has just shown his true colors by changing his allegiance from Democrat to Republican, which freaks out his girlfriend Leslie, who wants to marry, who he wants to marry. Budding architect Leslie, on the other hand, has an independent streak. She believes she has to make a name for herself to find out where she's going in her life, and she can't truly commit to another person in marriage. Um, but Leslie and La- Alec have decided to live together because Leslie refuses to marry Alec, and he believes, and Alec believes he this justifies certain behaviors that are unacceptable in a married life. Kirby, on the other hand, who wants to become a lawyer and who pays for his schooling by working as a waiter at their local hangout called St. Elmo's Bar, and a struggling writer Kevin are currently roommates. They are opposite extremes of the romantic spectrum. Kirby is just reconnected with Dale um, Biberman, a slightly older woman he knew in college who is now a doctor. See, that's the Dale Biberman's character I found to be the most rational character one. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. I'll get that on the cast later. <laughs> oh, lost my place for a second. Um, yep. Yeah, um, he, he falls madly in love with her and will do anything to impress her. Kevin, on, on the other hand, doesn't date and states he doesn't believe in love, making his friends speculate that he may be a closeted homosexual who is secretly in love with Alec. Kevin will eventually open himself up to one friend who matters the most. Um, Billy, um, married with a child, is the irresponsible one of the group who has a rather who would rather sleep around and play with a saxophone than face the realities of being an adult with family commitments. He still lives in the memory of his fraternity glory days. Um, next up, we have and finally we have um, virginal and sheltered Wendy, who comes from a wealthy family, works for a low-paying social services job. Her family provides all her financial leads, but she's in love with Billy, who turns to take advantage of her adoration of him. And most of our concern about Jules, who works in a bank and lives in excess of all facets of her life and doesn't have the financial means to live that kind of lifestyle. The question for all seven becomes whether their friendship can survive adult real life. Guess it's less of a synopsis, more of a plot summary. Uh, well, and the credits roll, the movie's over. No. Yeah, yeah. Still, I think like it covers a lot more than a synopsis when it's just like seven friends deal with real life. I was like, that's not so really. So, Kyle, a as you go through the cast of the main uh, people mm-hmm. when we get there, let me know, and I'm gonna if I have notes on those people that I think uh, auditioned for the role or wanted to play the part. You let me. We'll stop after each one, and I'll let you know if I have anything for them. Okay. All right. I'll do that whole thing for you real quick. All right, and going to the next um, facts here, we have a quick little shot to the awards where the soundtrack was nominated for a Grammy. 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 Um, Pronounced <laughs> uh, Okay, for it was nominated for a Grammy for Best Album. Grammy. Grammy for Best Album of Original yes. Score Written for a Motion Picture or a Television Special. It was also, it won a Razzie Award awarded to Rob Lowe for Worst Supporting Actor. I think that's like possibly misunderstanding the role to an extent. It's not like he's a good character in the film. No, but I but, thought he played a good character. Yeah, exactly. So getting a Razzie uh, okay. Award is like 
almost a compliment at that point. It's like we we all hated you in the movie. Like that's what I was going for. Right. <laughs> Yeah, um, quick little um, technical details of the film. It has a runtime of 110 minutes. Um, sound mix is Dolby Stereo. Um, color info, this is a color film. Aspect ratio is 2.39 by 1. And the camera vision and the camera used was the Panavision Panaflex Gold and the Panavision C-Series lenses. Uh, then we have... Um, some filming date... Um, filming date... Um, information. This film started filming on October 15th, 1984, and wrapped filming on October 31st, 1984. That's a two-week film schedule for a movie with seven like lead characters, practically. That's incredible. Um, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, filming again, 10-15-84, and wrapped up 10-31. After two weeks, 16 days of filming. Whole movie. That's insane. <laughs> you been doing that now? I mean, like... You know, movies that take months to film or whatever? Like, you know, that's a, that's a tight... Kyle? Turnaround. Jimbo. I think this summer... Mm-hmm. Jimbo and Kyle star, and Jimbo and Kyle go to Comic Con. We will take our iPhone and we will make a movie about Kyle going to Comic Con. We'll make a movie in two days. Show him up, real big. <laughs> real big. Yeah, take that. Yeah, take that. Movie awards, movie people. <laughs> we'll show you how it's done. <laughs> make a movie. It's just a vlog, Kyle. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Moving on to the cast of the film. Here we have Emilio Estevez playing Kirby Keeger. The Estevez is also known for such influential roles as The Breakfast Club in 1985, The Way in 2010, one of my favorite films, actually, I'm recovering someday, and uh, Young Guns in 1988. All right, so for Kirby, see Thomas Howe auditioned for Little Kirby, but he didn't get it because he was too young. What do you think? Could he have pulled off Kirby? Thomas Howe. See Thomas Howe. Uh, uh, probably maybe a little too young, but like I don't know. Maybe he could have pulled it off. Um... Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um, Rob Lowe, playing the character of Billy Hicks. Rob Lowe, also known for such roles as uh, he was in The West Wing from 1999 to 2006. He was in the movies Young Blood in 1986 and the movie The Outsiders in 1983. And this one, Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. in 1985. Ultimately went to Rob Lowe. Wow, I think, yeah, yeah. Robert Downey could have done a great job of it back in time. Yeah. He was a good young actor, too. People forget about that because he Mm -hmm. was crazy in his youth. (laughs) They had to chain him down. <laughs> um, next up, we had Andrew McCarthy playing Kevin DeLenz. Um, Ke- Andrew McCarthy was also in the films Pretty in Pink in 1986, um, Weekend at Bernie's in 1989, and Mannequin in 1987. Don't have anything for Kevin. Nothing for Kevin. All right. Next up, we have Demi Moore playing Jules, not the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a whole... Probably the two most totally opposite people of this film. You could be mixed up of all people. Yes, yes, uh, you're right. You're right. I, I have that myself. Um, Demi Moore was also in the films Ghost in 1990, Strip Teased in 1996, and G.I. Jane in 1997. Okay, all these uh, ladies were offered the role of Jules, but they all turned it down. So here we go. Kyle, tell me yes or no. Jodie mm-hmm. Foster. Yes. Jennifer Bills. No. Tatum O'Neill. No. And last but not least, Joan Cusack. Ooh, yes. All right. Good. First time you getting me like name, I'm like I know all these names. Yeah. Usually, <laughs> <laughs> like, I have no idea who this person. Pretty is. women from the eighties. I know these people. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, next up, we have Judd Nelson playing the character of Alec Newberry. Judd Nelson was also in the film *The Breakfast Club* in 1985, *New Jack City* with Wesley Snipes in 1991, and *Blue City* in 1986. 
Anything about no, Judd Nelson? Nothing about Judd. Nothing about Judd. All right, moving on. We have Ali Sheedy playing Leslie Hunter. Ali Sheedy was also in the films The Breakfast Club in 1985, along with Judd Nelson. Um, Short Circuit in 1986, and War Games in 1983. All right, Kyle, this is probably the longest list of people that were considered Everyone for the role. So here we go. Yeah. Yes or no? Brooke Shields. No. Yes. What? You don't think so? Okay, maybe. Okay. Meg Ryan. Yes. No. How <laughs> no, dare you say no to Meg Ryan? <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes. <laughs> Melody Griffith. Uh, yeah. Sarah Jessica Parker. Really? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, Bridget Fonda. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. That would probably Bridget might have been perfect. Might have been perfect. Yeah. Bridget Fonda would be even better. <laughs> Elizabeth Shue. Elizabeth Shue. Uh, I don't remember what she was in. Oh, gosh. This is going to drive me nuts. Uh, uh, yeah, back to the Future. Was, Oh, right. She would have been great. Okay, yeah. Love thank you. Thank you. I think. If, you, if, 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 if that's the girl, that's the girl. She would have worked perfectly. <laughs> I believe so. I, my mind is a little fried this morning after everything we've went through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. Jennifer Jason Lee. Oh, yeah, maybe. Maybe. All right. That's all for Leslie. All right. That's all for Leslie. Moving on, we have uh, Mara Winningham playing the character of Wendy Beamish. Um, uh, Mara Winningham was also in the films um, Philomena in 2013. Turner and Hooch in 1989, and um, Miracle Mile in 1988. Uh, the only other one I got something for is uh, Naomi. Uh, okay, so we'll move on until we get to Naomi, which is much further down the list. Um, next up, we have Martin Balsam playing the character of Mr. Beamish. Um, Martin Balsam was also in the film All the President's Men in 1976, 12 Angry Men in 1957. Great movie. Must we point out that it's probably the my favorite movie now. Of all time. Honestly. Of all time. It's, it's got to be up there in your top ten at least. Um, next up, we have The Taking of Pell Am 123 in 1974. I want to watch that film sometime. I have not watched it in my life yet. Um, it's a Walter Matthau film. And then they remade it with Denzel, and that's a great movie that I have watched. Put it to the list. Denzel and John Travolta. It was pretty good. The new one, anyway. So I haven't seen the old one. I won't watch the old one. <laughs> Moving on. We have Joyce Van Patterson playing the character of Mrs. Beamish. Um, Joyce Van Pattern was also in the films Grown Ups in 2020, uh, 2010. I believe that was the Adam Sandler film. Um, Bone in 1972. And Monkey Shines in 1988. I have not watched Monkey Shines in forever. I don't know if I watched any of those films. Oh, really? <laughs> no, no. Um, this is probably the only film I watched with Joyce Van, Joyce Van Pattern. Have you ever seen Grown Ups? Uh, no, wait, Adam yeah, Sandler, that's where Kevin James, yeah, think, that's where Shaq plays a, like a mall security guard or something, or a cop. Shaq's a cop in that film. It's weird. Um, <laughs> next up, Jenny Wright plays the character of Felicia. Jenny Wright was also in the films Near Dark in 1987, I Madman in 1989, and Out of Bounds in 1986. Oh yeah, grown up. What didn't Adam Sandler get in that fight with Stone Cold Steve Austin? How ups? did you go? You you go and you go back like six questions ago, and you're like, now I that remember. That was one sentence before <laughs> this. But answer the question. In Grown Ups, didn't Adam Sandler fight Stone Cold Steve Austin? Honestly, I don't know if I've seen Grown Ups. If I did, it was only bits and pieces. I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to Google it probably mid-show now to see if, if Stone I can't Cold remember, Steve Austin it probably was wasn't that good of a movie. Oh, sure, I've never. I'm sure it wasn't. I mean, that this is that was the, that's the decade where Adam Sandler didn't make good movies. <laughs> Speaking um, of Adam Sandler, dude. Hubie Halloween is hilarious. If anybody's I ever seen want to get it on that's Netflix. a Netflix movie, right? <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny. I, I didn't mean to get around to it. I haven't got around to it. I probably won't get around to it until next October. You will when we cover it. Uh, 
I'm going to force you yeah. out. You will watch the movie. Um, okay, next up we have Blake Clark playing the character of Wally. Blake Clark was also in the film 51st Dates in 2004. Also Adam Sandler, Waterboy, Adam Sandler again, 1988. And Shakes the Clown in 1991. Shakes the Clown. Yeah. <laughs> Then we have John Cutler playing the character of Howie Krantz. Um, John Cutler is also in the film The Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger in 1987, Ruthless People in 1986, and the film New York, New York in 1977. Next up, we have Matthew Lawrence playing the character of Ron um, D'Alessandro. Ooh, excuse me. Uh, Matthew Lawrence is also in the film A Twist of Faith in 1999 and Eddie and the Cruisers in 1993. Uh, fun fact, when I Googled Matthew Lawrence, I got the wrong Matthew Lawrence, and that was the kid from Mrs. Doubtfire, and he was also in the film The Hot Chick in, like, 2002. So, apparently, there's two Matthew Lawrences. One is spelled with, like, the, the W-E-R, which is the one that was in The Hot Chick, and this Matthew Lawrence, who was only in, like, two other films besides this film. <laughs> I am great at my job. <laughs> Next up, we have Gina Heck playing the character of Judith. Gina was also in the, in the films Drive in, 2000, in 2020 and also in the film Night Shift in 1982. And last and not least, because it's the last character we have an alternative casting for, for Jimbo here, we have Anna Marie Horsford playing the character of Naomi. Um, Anna was also in the films Minority Report in 2002. Friday in 1995, and most recently in the film History of the World Part 2, which is actually a somewhat telling series. I refuse. You've not watched it at all? To watch it. You refuse to watch it. Why's that? I just don't think it looks good. You did, I, I didn't think it looked good either. I have not watched it either because I don't use Hulu. <laughs> um, Why are you arguing with me then? Well, well, because, no, I'm not arguing with you. I, I remember we had like a, we have, you asked me the question, I, I, I want to say a year or even two years ago, if that film will ever be made. And I was like, absolutely not. Mel Brooks is in his <laughs> mid-90s. He will die. There's no way he's going to make this film. And sure enough, it eventually came out. So, uh, you know, egg on my face. I guess we might have to watch it. History of the World Part Two did get made, even though it might be terrible. <laughs> Which uh, also I've actually heard not too bad things about it, so we'll see. But, right, uh, but back to Naomi. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so for Naomi, Laura Dern is the only one that auditioned. Laura Dern. And the, Laura Dern's a great actress, and she could knock anything out of the park. So okay. that's so they, good for her. They have from Cal. Cal. Okay. So. Cal was earning awards. No, we went through those two awards. It was that Razzie and that Grammy um, oh, right. nomination. See, that was the, the, the way this is going, this episode's derailed since the beginning. Exactly. We're, since I woke gonna, up. We're going to throw uh, this podcast in the trash. <laughs> I mean, you know, you wake up. Number one, you almost oversleep because Kyle says, I'll be there in about three minutes. Two, you come to find out that your printer ran out of ink. Um, so there's that. Then you cover the, oh, we're going to cover this for our anniversary episode. And guess what? We already did. And it's just been a running It's just been a manic so Monday. <laughs> it except sure has, it's except Wednesday. it's Wednesday. What a week. Hump day. Kyle, it's Wednesday. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, um, Kyle, um, we covered the Breakfast Club, I think it was episode three or four, something like that, way back with Terrence, who's our co-host. But the cast in this, um, you kind of think in the 80s, it was kind of like the Brat Pack. Uh, You know, I kind of spit on the Rat Pack. A lot of these um, actors and actresses were all together in movies. And some have said that St. Elmo's Fire is a direct sequel to The Breakfast Club after high school. This is where they're going out of college. That was definitely the vibe I got. But it's not the same... No, it's not. It's really not. Right. It's not the same characters, not the same guy. It is a different story, but in many respects, it is like the spiritual successor in my eye right. of this film. And like you can imagine those characters going to this kind of lifestyle after they graduate from high school. So, so Kyle, yeah. let me ask you a question real yeah. quick. So, is there any um, friends from high school 
that you have kept in contact with that were as tight-knit as friends as these that oh. even to today? I, I wish I could say yes. Um, <laughs> and, and I, I kind of put it on myself to fail to keep those relationships as active as I should have. Of course, that's a two-way street, of course. Right, right, right. That's on me and them to a degree. Um, but I, I do have friends that I keep in contact with. Like, luckily, social media is a thing now where, like, you can keep in contact with friends a lot easier that way. So I say I still have friends that I still, from high school, that I still talk to daily on social media. And to that extent, it feels like a close connection. And we try to hang out whenever we can, at least, you know, once or twice a year. But that's about as good as it really gets for, um, you know, modern adult life. Right. Now. Well, um, it's like... So that's personally for me. How about... How about well, Sorry, well, what I was going to say is that there was only 12 people in my graduating class, okay? Mm-hmm. So six boys, six girls. And, you know, I probably don't talk to any of them. Um, it's sad. I mean, yes, we all grew up. Some are in Florida. Some are traveling the world. Some are, you know, different stuff. Some of them might even still live in the city. But um, just, you know, people grow up. People fall out of friendships. You know what I mean? And, and, and I, it, But when you're in high school, you think, Man, nothing's better than oh, this. We're yeah. going to be friends forever, which is not the case. Even ADZ, who does the Twilight Zone with me, he was a great ahead of me. Um, and our family spent time together. We went on vacations together when we were younger. But even the point of when he graduated from high school and, and he was a year ahead of me, and then I graduated, we probably hadn't talked since, um, man, it had probably been a good 15 years or so, 20 years, you know what I mean, since we actually sat down and, and, and started talking about family and stuff again and friends. We, so through this podcast, we have made that connection again where we've actually get, grown closer again than what we uh, had been, um, as well as Stephen Emery and his family. Um, so um, I just think it's very interesting that at the end of this movie, um, you get the feeling that when Billy goes off, you know, they're like, hey, we'll always be together, you know what I mean, and Billy goes off to New York wherever he goes, mm-hmm. you know, you're like, will he ever really keep in touch? You know, I mean, it's just, yeah. it's one of those things that you hate to say, but and, and some people may have that relationship, but I I didn't, so that's where I kind of yeah, and it just kind of like bring back to you. like there's a sadness to it for sure, but there's also like there's kind of a a, a new life as well because like that's that's you coming into your own as an adult individual right. yourself too. So that's why those things drift apart because you come into your own and then you realize what you value yourself is like it turns out not to necessarily be that friendship. Even that friendship's still valuable in like your history, you appreciate that. Going forward, you know you have more important things to do in your life. And as as do as do they. And I think that's also like a thing to be positive about as well. Right. You know, so like it's not all sad in that sense. Right. So I mean I just wanted to point that out. Number one the Brad Pack and then also about the friendships. But let's go ahead and talk about some of this trivia. And you can throw your clipisms in here, the Kyle knowledge, if you will. Exactly. No, I think that's funny. And then you can go on to the next topic. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm a cliche, folks. All right, here we go. So uh, there's not a lot of information on this. There's only four pages, so we'll go through some of this. So the name of the higher education campus that is seen in the movie is none other than Georgetown University. All the major characters in the film story attended this university together. After reading the script, Georgetown University administrators refused to allow producers to film on campus. So the on-campus scenes were filmed at the University of Maryland instead. No Georgetown University buildings appear in the film at all. <laughs> yeah, whenever we go, because we went back to like back to our recording like on Animal House and other some like college-centric films. How many how many colleges are so terrified of getting burned entirely of just being looking incredibly bad, like looking like a college town where nothing, no rules are being followed at all, versus being maybe too uptight possibly. So I understand why they have that kind of. Um, statement or uh, policy of like, no, 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 you're not filming here at all. Right. You know, so it is what it is. The St. Elmo's Bar is based on the tombs 
a popular watering hole with Georgetown University students. For exterior shots, a full street set built at Universal Studios in Los Angeles was used. The Booga Booga Cheer. <laughs> I thought Kyle was going to do the, the Booga Booga That the friends do when they are celebrating or just in a good mood were not originally in the script. In a later interview, Rob Lowe stated that the cheer came out from observing fans whispering about the stars of the movies and then laughing. The chair itself makes fun of what these whispered conversations sounded like from a few feet away. <laughs> that makes sense. And I guess like, this whole film kind of relies on like their entire cast inner chemistry together. Like I when you try like most of this film most of these films shot, like they have to kind of break out of the script entirely because they have to be on their natural friendship games. Right. And that's probably where the like the spirit of this whole film kind of carries through and why people love it as much as they do now. So Mara Winningham, who played Wendy, uh, well, she played the Virgin in this movie, but she was actually pregnant during filming, so <laughs> <laughs> there is that. That's fantastic. Uh, that's excellent. Uh, much like her character, Demi Moore had a drug problem when she was cast in the film. One day, director Joel Schumacher actually demanded that she leave the set because she was really high. Moore had to go through rehab and promised to stay clean in order to play a character with a drug problem. Moore revealed in an autobiography later that she had a cocaine problem and was using an eighth of an ounce of the drug every two days. Oh, my gosh. She went to treatment for 15 days and then had a counselor with her while she was shooting the film. Jeez. I mean, that would be hard to do if you had a drug problem and playing a druggie on playing set. Playing a druggie on set. Like, or having to be clean and then playing a druggie in the film itself. It's just like, that's got to be very tough, especially from a rehabilitation standpoint. And even then, like, the grand, like, it's not that far back now, but still even, like... 30, 40 years ago now, that's still, like, not a good time for being respected or, like, understanding how much of an issue that is, Right, I feel like. Um, wow, that's going to be difficult to go through. Uh, one of the bars used in the film was torn down in Washington, D.C., with several of the cast members in attendance for it, so that's pretty cool. Huh. Singer John Parr, who wrote the famous song and song, St. Elmo's Fire, for the soundtrack, which is a great song, explained during a speech at the Children's Choice Awards in Sheffield that he was not particularly thrilled to be working on this film, and that the song was written in honor of Paralympian and fundraiser Rick Hansen. He said that the wills of the man in motion are referenced to, in the lyrics were popular uh, was popular popularly thought to mean the wills of Demi Moore, Jules G, but actually refers instead to those of a wheelchair. Oh, wow. So, a little insight pretty, there. Pretty, a little bit of a darkness into an otherwise kind of jovial song. Yeah, this is a debut film of uh, actor Blake uh, Clark, who played Wally. Uh, Emilio Estevez, Ali Sheedy, and Jed Nelson all portrayed graduates in the uh, 85 film of the Breakfast Club, or of this, but also in the uh, Breakfast Club. St. Elmo's Fire producer Lauren Schuler Donner has said all three were cast in the film due to strong recommendation from Hughes. Uh, the street that the St. Elmo Bar is on, the, uh, is on is the Universal Backlot. The two or three buildings to the left is the Hill Valley Clock Tower from Back to the Future. <laughs> Small world moment. Yep. Cool stuff. Uh, Martin um, Balsam and Joyce McPatton, who played Wendy's parents, Mr. and Mrs. Beamish, were married in real life from 1957 to 1962. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. Yep. I yep. wonder how that is. Hey, we were married, but <laughs> 20 years later we're playing husband and wife again. <laughs> how odd would that be? That's hey, fair. I'll accept this part. Oh, uh, well, Wait, never mind. I guess we're... <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I, I guess that, I guess what, that's like putting on an old pair of shoes that got to be at that point. I'm like, okay, I know how to fake, I know how to fake our marriage. <laughs> I did it for a few years before we divorced. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's dark. That's dark. This is um, the uh, breakthrough film as a as a director for writer and former costume designer Joel Schumacher. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, here we go again. The same was derived from a real life meteorological phenomenon, which is mentioned in the movie. 
is also known as St. Elmo's Light. Uh, according to website uh, Wikipedia, it is a weather phenomenon in which luminous plasma is created by coronal discharge from a sharper pointed object in a strong electric field in the atmosphere, such as those generated by thunderstorms or created by volcanic eruption. Oh, that's really cool. I remember like a like an extremely off the wall thing. I remember like a Metro twenty thirty three and like the Metro series uses those a lot in like those kind of like almost spectral balls of light almost. They're really, really cool to see. Right. They use a lot of that in that video game. As like images of spirits, almost. Um, yeah, just because like they 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 have the, basically the title song of the film in their. I'm gonna list off the band members real quick. Um, the band members were Patrick Winningham, Andy Scott, um, Chris, um, Christian Ibrahim, um, and Daniel Ibrahim, and Bennett Bowman for the um, the new breed. The band that played. I would say that was the part. band that played in the movie, not the one that did the sound. Not the one. Yeah, but that's the one that played in the movie specifically right there. Okay, you're right. Sorry. And you know that that uh, Winningham guy is actually the brother of uh, Wendy. Oh, Winningham. Oh, yeah, Mary Winningham. Yep. Cool. Um, so, yeah. director Joel Schumacher said that the film's casting, according to the book, You Couldn't Ignore Me If You Tried, The Brat Pack, John Hughes, and Their Impact on a Generation in 2011 by Susan Susanna Gora. I might have to get that. A lot of people turned down the script. The head of a major studio called its seven-member cast the most loathsome humans he had ever read on a page. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I share his sentiment. Wow. That's great. Oh, wow. Um, Director Joel Schumacher saw Demi Moore walking down the hallway in his office building and asked a colleague to run after her and find out if she was an actress. Schumacher's production office at the time was in the same place as that of John Hughes' office where Moore had just been visiting regarding a casting call. At the time of production, actor Rob Lowe was the youngest of the lead cast, about 19, while actress Mayor Winningham, who played Wendy, was the eldest, having had already born two children. Jeez. And another on the way, as we have found Yeah, out. they're on the way. This is uh, one of actress uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's favorite films. Uh, she's been in the news a lot lately. Yeah, that would be the skiing, a, skiing, the skiing incident. incident. Yeah, I don't even know what happened. Uh, supposedly she did a hit and run, basically, that on skiing. Ran into, a, ran into a person, left him injured, and then she actually ran away from it. And then later they took her to, um, and the guy who suffered the injuries took her to court. And they're having a whole... Hubba-baloo. <laughs> it's a mess, it sounds like. Yes, it does. Um, I'm glad we... Kind of avoided that. <laughs> that I don't know how to ski. Okay. Andrew McCarthy, uh, he started smoking while making this film as his character is a smoker. He eventually quit. Yeah, um, Emilio Estevez and Demi Moore actually began dating during the filming of this movie. He said he was deeply in love with her. For a time, they were even engaged, though they never married. Oh, wow. I never knew that. Did you? No, I had no idea. Hmm. Yeah. Did you know I worked at a ski resort for like three months? <laughs> yes. I remember this guy. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> but you still don't know how to ski. No, I don't. <laughs> Uh, the interchanges between Kevin and the hooker, <laughs> that was funny in the movie too, were based on a conversation between a hooker and a limo driver that Joe Schumacher had once overheard. <laughs> just walking the street. Just I like how he's, forth. I like how, I like how, uh, was it Kirby? How he's just going through the street, that hooker comes up to me and they just, yeah. it's like, how come you never ask me if I want to get a room or whatever? And it's just like deep conversations they're having. I was like, really? Like, uh, what else are you going to do while you're waiting? You right. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, Joel Schumacher originally had felt that Rob Lowe wasn't right for the part of Billy. Once after repeated phone calls from his agent and a passionate speech about why he wanted the part, did Rob eventually get it? I. That's kind of You're like, Rob Lowe is such a... He's perfect in this role. He I is. I, feel like he I is. really think he is. Yeah. Uh, the snowy, wintry scenes later in the movie included those at the ski lodge were filmed in Truckee, California. Uh, each of the graduates holds fast to the unconditional acceptance and affection of their group, a safety net beneath them as they step into the adult world. 
Our early life is a series of plateaus, explained writer-director Joel Schumacher, who added, adulthood is a state that you are constantly defining for yourself as you go along, hoping that an adult is what other people will see. In St. Elmo's Fire, we wanted to dramatize the passion and uncertainty of that time. We also wanted to make a self-point about self-created drama. When most of us look back on our 20s, which Kyle is in his 20s, so it doesn't count, uh, we see that a lot of the incredible drama we went through was self-created. I hope that other uh, older people will be reminded of what they went through and younger people will uh, see something of themselves and their own lives. Each of their friends faces decisions that will determine his or her future. Yeah, I agree. There's certainly some definite truths of early 20s life in here. Uh, definitely creating your own problems. <laughs> Columbia Pictures hated the title, going so far as to send a 35-page memo listing all of their issues with a proposed 35. title and suggested such alternatives as Real World of Spark. 35 pages on the hated title. I want that whole list. I would I like do. to see what it said. Yeah, absolutely. Man, if I can dig 35 that. pages. I'm going to Google, see if I can dig that Okay. Uh, Anthony Edwards and Leah Thompson also edition for roles. I like Leah Thompson a lot, too. Uh, Demi Moore came in on a motorcycle for her edition with the tag still on her clothes. <laughs> Rob Lowe walked into his audition with a six-pack of Coronas. Um, Emilio originally wanted to play Billy, which I don't think that would work. Andy McDowell, who... Kyle thinks is the um, the doctor, the, doc, the druggie. Uh, credits yeah. this film for changing her life and her career. Uh, Andrew McCarthy spent his downtime listening to Bruce Springsteen on his Walkman. Yes, Walkman, folks. That's where used folks. to it's the play back little the cassette tapes. Yeah, Emilio uh, Estevez uh, wrote screenplays during his breaks, and Judd Nelson read Billy Budd while he was on set. Let's see here. The instrumental song Love Theme from A St. Elmo's Fire, which is a great theme uh, instrumental, was written by David Foster, another great, uh, what do you call him? Can help me out? Well, sorry, go back home. Uh, well, what is David Foster, the, the, like, like John Williams and all of them? Uh, he's a composer. Thank composer. you. I was, oh, getting, oh, okay. I was sorry. getting there. Man, he was a good artist. Morning. Yeah. He was uh, it's called Love Theme from St. Elmo's Fire, or for just a moment. Uh, David Foster and handicapped athlete Rick Hansen were longtime friends who both needed a musical inspiration at the same time. Foster needed a theme song for his movie. Hanson, a theme to spark interest in his Man in Motion World tour. Hanson was circling the planet in his wheelchair to raise funds and awareness for his Spinal Injury Research Foundation. The song Samuel's Fire was born with a portion of the proceeds going to the foundation. Oh, gosh. Uh, Rob Lowe's character is referred to as Billy the Kid in this movie. Yes, Emilio Estevez will later play Billy the Kid in Young Guns and Young Guns 2. Jenny Wright also had a role in Young Guns 2. Film critic, one of our favorites, Gene Sisko, compared this movie unfavorably with About Last Night. He said, this is a movie, uh, this is the movie St. Elmo's Fire wanted to be and missed by a mile. This is a movie that documents a rite of passage in so many people's lives from individual to couple. And Sisko and Eber were just they're, ruthless at times. Oh, yeah, they're great. Love I love them. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Kirby arrives at the cabin, he parks Wendy's car in front of the cabin with a passenger side closest to the front steps. When he is about to leave, though, the car is parked in the driveway with the driver's side closest to the cabin. You can hear uh, Dell's guy friend turning the ignition, then saying it started. That's what I noticed. Like the, the car was parked differently than when he pulled up. Oh, continuity error either. Yes. Okay, that happens. Okay, I cannot find the list of uh, St. Elmo's Fire, but I can confirm Stone Cold Steve Austin wasn't grown ups in 2010. I'm going to leave it there. Uh, <laughs> your little hamster falls off the wheel, but he gets back on all the time. Intrusive thoughts win. Uh, John and Dino, or Dino, Dino. El- Elefante who wrote and performed the song Young and Innocent, are um, associated with the progressive rock band Kansas. 
John Elefante being most known for the lead vocal in, uh, on the hit Kansas song Play the Game Tonight. Dino would later go on to produce for many Christian rock artists and such as the band Petra. Petra. Never heard which Petra. means The Rock. Dwayne Johnson. No, not <laughs> I knew he was together. And last but not least, Ali Sheedy was horrified by her sex scene with Andrew McCarthy. It wasn't until the day of filming that she realized it wouldn't be a simple fade out before any of the naked stuff happened. She wore a bodysuit, by the way. Uh, both McCarthy and Joel Schumacher made the process more comfortable. Quote, he knew I felt awkward and he sh- shot it fast, she said uh, of her director. He didn't draw it out on this painful exercise at all. And a mishap actually added some laughter to the scene. When the shower door was pushed out of frame, it was an accent that stayed in the film. Much like Sheedy's reaction, it was my real laugh there, she says, which was hilarious in the, the scene. Good levity to So, Kyle, that. take it away. Take what it away. Think? Overall thoughts. Overall thoughts of this film. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think, uh, with, I forget the um, person who said it, but it's like, I, I've never seen a, a bigger group of more lovable characters in my life, something like that, to the effect. Loathsome. Not lovable, loathsome. Loathsome characters. Um, I if said, you don't know I what that means, loathable. they hate them. <laughs> yes, I know, okay. I know, I know, okay. them, I know what loathsome means. Um, yes, and I agree. I <laughs> this is definitely, this is the first time I felt like an old man moment where like, I hate all you kids so much, was <laughs> immediately. Um, these are definitely a whole bunch of kids that make their own problems and continue to make more mistakes going forward. And um, in generally, I dislike how they rationalize a lot of the things they do and uh, how they act going forward like oh yeah it'll all be fine it'll be fine like no you idiots need to get your stuff together and do this <laughs> and uh, I think it was kind of funny for me to have that general reaction um, over the, f- the past few weeks though because I had to push this movie off a few times but the past few weeks I've definitely warmed up a lot more to the film overall I think it's a pretty fun time and it does recognize just like how how young people create their own problems and the mistakes they kind of generally make and uh, even the most loathsome of them um, have redeeming qualities that I can respect and kind of admire to really even. Give me a redeeming quality of Billy in this movie. Uh, I think Billy continues to recognize more and more how much of a bad person he is and how much he actually thinks it's better to distance himself from everyone around him, which is probably the right choice in many respects. So I'm going to say that's a redeeming quality. The fact that he recognizes he's a messed up person and he needs to go somewhere else to sort out his stuff might be the most best person in the film for that very reason. <laughs> the thing about his character in this movie is every time you think that he's getting ready to to turn the corner and become the good guy, he just does something that you're like, yeah, this is much like, yeah, um, yeah. Billy has problems that he will need help with eventually, I believe. Um, going like going forward, like ten years from now, I bet he's still messing, battling a lot of demons. I bet um, internally, now you know things he does to other people that he can't quite control um, uh, to a degree. Um, still, he's responsibility though. Um, but um, yeah, I think he gets closer and closer to recognizing that as the film goes on, and the other characters largely. Like, they find a way of pushing their problems off to the side, I think, where I think um, Billy is, is about to face them head-on because he's forced to, in many respects, because um, he's going too hard. Um, same thing with, uh, actually, Debbie Moore's character, Jules. Same thing, like, she, face, she has to face the problems head-on because they're so big they can't be avoided. You know, versus the other characters, I think, kind of push things off too much. Um, so that's for me. So, and like I said, like, in general, I've warmed up with these characters a, a, a fair amount in the past few weeks because I've just kind of thinking, like, yeah, I get it, young, dumb. <laughs> It's all right. Um, so overall, the film is like, like I said. I think um, I think also comparison of it being a, a spiritual successor to the Breakfast Club kind of holds true. Um, I think many of um, if I had any misgivings at the Breakfast Club, they kind of carry over into this film to be a little bit worse. It's not as good as the Breakfast Club to me, but I still think it's a pretty good film overall. So this is probably in the realm of like uh, 
a strong 6 out of 10, maybe a soft 7 out of 10, around that general range to me, where um, I think it's worth seeing probably at least once, and if you're a fan of this genre of films, you'll definitely find something to enjoy out of it, so, and, you know, for fans of the genre, I would say definitely go see it, but in terms of, like, film history and all that kind of stuff, you could, you could pass it, it's not a big deal. So that's overall kind of how I feel with the film. Jimbo, how, what do you think of it, you know? I think it's an all-star cast. Um, I've always been a big Andrew McCarthy fan. Um, I like him in a lot of the stuff that he does. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Demi Moore did a fantastic job in this, but I guess it really wasn't that much of a stretch of her character to play a druggie. So she you know, was I, in the moment for that. I know. Yeah, so yeah. she was she was there for that. Uh, Rob Lowe's character. Uh, I've talked to Kyle. I, I think that he might be the best one of, of this. I say the best one, where I mean he's probably the. Best acted performance one of the group, and like right? a, a fully original um, character is because you know he has a daughter and he has a wife. He's cheating on his wife. Mm-hmm. At the end of the movie, you find out he's like, um, "Well, I'm just going to leave my daughter. I think that's the best thing for everybody involved." You know what I mean? And I'm like, "Really?" Well, it's also like he, he an, know, another I, man. You had up. you had your. I'm share. sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, another guy wanted to marry marry his, his wife or whatever. Yeah. Um, but even at the end of the movie, when he's because. Uh, Wendy's a virgin this whole thing and he's and, you know she's always crushed on him and at the end he's like hey you want to give me a parting gift um, you know what happens there and I'm like Billy we just went through this whole character mm-hmm. building and you're still a scumbag um, you know Billy tries to rape Jules um, in one one of the scenes and she kicks him out in yeah. the out of her jeep um, I do think that Emilio Estevez Kirby when he goes up to the lodge and she can't believe that he came all this way for one because she's up there with her men friend, and she she even throws like the pajamas to him. He's like he's like you want me to wear his pajamas or whatever. But uh, if you remember, he's like hey, let me go get a camera. Uh, I'll take a picture of you guys. Um, and then he bends her over and gives her the old kiss, you know, and stands her back up. And she's like, oh. Um, one thing I would have liked to seen at the end of this movie is like where they are now, uh, not. Where they are now, now, but where yeah. they are now in the movie, like one of those post scenes that says Billy went Here's on. Here's the still shot of the two sentences for what they did. Yeah. Exactly, uh, I think that would have brought a lot of closure, or even a, a sequel, um, if you will, um, to see how they've grown up or closer or apart. Um, I like the uh, chemistry, but here's something else. What was his name? Not Kirby. Andrew McCarthy's character, who they always picked on for being gay in this movie. When he was actually in love with his best, one of his best friends, mm-hmm. uh, girlfriend, uh, fiance, yeah. yeah, and you know it comes down where they had a fight and broke up because he just wanted to marry her to have sex with her, and this guy actually loved her the entire time, and um, then she's like, no, we're not going to be together, you know, it was just a because she still loves him. It was just a, like a love triangle. And at the end, she's like, look, I'm just going to take a break from both of you. <laughs> I mean, like yeah, either yeah. one of you gonna be having myself for a right? while. Yeah. Uh, so. I think there's a lot of issues that this movie deals with that are great. Um, I, I actually like it more now than I thought I did. Um, this is probably my second or third time watching it. It, are, it is rated R. There's some language. Um, I don't remember any nudity off the top of my head. Um, it's a soft R. Right. Say, there's yeah. there's probably some, uh, probably just to do with the whole uh, drug use slash uh, sexual mm-hmm. integrity, I guess. But... Uh, for me, uh, it's probably a seven five um, easily, just from the characters and uh, the how they they are acted out, and as well as that theme song. The theme song at the beginning, not even the the man in motion, but the theme song is one of those classic songs um, that you hear and you're like, oh, that takes me back to Samuel's Fire. And then the John Parr Samuel's Fire song is really good too. 
So for me, it's probably a 7.5 out of 10. Um, really good, really good, I think. So, Kyle, uh, any last famous words? Not last words, but... <laughs> well, last thoughts. But like, yeah. yeah, in general, like, uh, to feel like I, I could, like, like there's parts of, like, I could draw out the last 10% of, like, my thoughts in this movie if I did, like, another four hours of work doing research and, like, diving into, like, the more of the messy aspects of it. But in general, I, I think I can just kind of say, like, I like the fact that this movie's a little bit messy. Like, things aren't really resolved in the best way. It's, like, it's more like, this is a logical end for this one particular story, but you're right that I wish we had the scenes where, like, what they did in their lives afterwards. Did they become an adult in 10 years? Or are they still, like, largely these mess-ups where loathing them is actually the correct response versus just respecting that they're just young adults who are messing up? Would you like you to know. see them do a sequel today? Oh, no. Yeah, it's too, it's too long today because now they're all like, we're going to retire soon. We're great. <laughs> you, know, like, like, you know, two of them died. You know, that's that's the real sequel. You know? Wow. That's, that's hey, the real legacy. They all, they're all dead and the only one left there is Demi Moore the drug. He stayed to get their grave smoking. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be a limited series, Demi, Disney Plus limited series run for like eight episodes. And they'll cancel it exactly. after season one. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> It'll cross over with Willow. It'd be great. Well, um, <laughs> stay tuned because we have some exciting things coming up. Um, I'm really excited about uh, a special guest we will be having coming on that I found on TikTok. Uh, she's awesome. She's I'm hyper. so excited for this. She's really cool. It's going to be great. Um, so we're trying to get that set up. Um, I just think her TikToks are hilarious, so I can't wait for that. Um, we have our live show coming up. Mm-hmm. Um we're on May twentieth, I do believe. Uh, it's in Lebanon with Hibbly Horror Stories with Jerry and Tracy Pauly. Love those guys, as well as uh, Todd, Sean, and Nate from Middle Age and Creeped Out. It is at yep. the Haunted Jail in Lebanon, Indiana, at the Boone County Jail Distillery. Yep. So that is May twentieth, I do believe. What time does it start, Kyle? Five or six? Uh, we don't have a time on the. the I the, think what? it's six. I believe it's or six, five. Yeah. Five or six. Oh, remember that general time. We'll we'll yeah. we'll throw it out on the. Plan your whole episode. day around. Um, but Kyle and I are already in hard at work at what we're going to cover that day. Um, yeah. It's it's going to be different uh, than what we did last time. Uh, we went with a more serious movie this time. Yeah. Uh, hard-hitting. Yeah. So, um, other than that, you can follow us on the show. Some the Tragedy of Cinema Podcast on Facebook. Uh, if you want to leave us a review on Apple, we will read it online or even Spotify, wherever you... Good I or should, bad, we'll look should, at it. We'll read it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we don't care. Yeah. Um, and then... Um, also, let's keep uh, Brett stepping off uh, from the Evil Never Dies podcast and your thoughts and prayers as he's having a heart procedure today. Today. Um, so uh, he should be uh, a little bit of recovery, uh, probably day, out of day. Um, and if you want to, go check out the Evil Never Dies on YouTube. Uh, our last real talk that we split with them is on there. You can see me sitting in my Chewbacca outfit as we're giving the questions. Those are really fun. Uh, we will be planning another one here soon uh, with Evil Never Dies. So we usually do them once a month after we record our Planet of the Apes uh, series with Brett. So uh, be on the lookout on the social medias for those. But Kyle, I think we've rattled on long enough, and that's a wrap. And cut. <laughs>